Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Next is now. We're very pleased to have joining us today Brian Grimm, who is the founding president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Now, this is an extraordinary organization that has done some research that is really eye-opening and I think so critical uh, in terms of how we function in our communities, very important for leaders of business and for leaders of government as they look at policy. Uh, Brian, thanks for uh, joining us today. Welcome to the program. Oh, great to be with you, Boyd. Well, I want to jump right into something that has been getting a lot of attention uh, across the country and around the world, and that is a, a recent study that you have done. Actually, uh, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints referenced your research in a speech he delivered recently at the G20 Interfaith Forum uh, in Italy. And uh, give us just a little backstory. Tell us about this research uh, and the real impact of faith and faith-based groups uh, in the marketplace. This is the first of the kind study uh, looking at the economic contribution religion makes to American society. So most people can identify things that religion does. It cares for the needy. It, uh, it helps clothe those that are naked, you know, those kind of acts of mercy. But the cumulative effect of faith-based organizations adds $1.2 trillion to the United States economy year after year. And this comes in three different forms. One is in the actual activities of local congregations. Uh, they contribute to local economies uh, in the winter, plowing snow, hiring to plow snow, uh, carrying out educational and other kind of service organizations. There's more than 1.2 million service, different types of service projects congregations carry out. And all of that has a social impact. The second are institutions like Brigham Young University. Uh, these faith-based institutions add to the rich pluralism in America, and they contribute another third of more than a third of a billion to the U.S. economy every year. And these include hospitals, universities, uh, charities. And then the third category that doesn't get a lot of attention but is critical are faith-friendly um, businesses. Mm. These are not necessarily faith-based businesses. Some are faith-based, or like the Knights of Columbus, they run a billion-dollar life insurance company. Right. But others, like Tyson Foods, hires chaplains uh, across their factories uh, in the United States. And uh, so they're faith-friendly, and and uh, other companies are following suit. There's a, a, a faith-friendly movement in corporate America today. So all of that really adds to our uh, economic well-being 
and social um, cohesion in America. Yeah, and I just want to go back to that number, uh, 1.2 trillion annually, and that's just the U.S. economy. That's not carrying the global uh, impact of all of that. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, this 1.2 trillion uh, is the equivalent of uh, quite a bit of money, even uh, to our friends in the tech sector. Yeah, it, it, it far outshines the revenues of many of our top tech companies. Uh, and in fact, you look at tech companies and they court religion as their customers. So even Facebook now has developed a whole division devoted to uh, servicing the religious uh, religious economy, you could say, or religious marketplace. So the, the, the faith sector and the economic sector, the tech sector, are very closely intertwined. Yeah, I, I think that's so important to uh, to recognize that. So when there is this economic impact, and then uh, I know a lot of the work that you have been doing uh, with the foundation is is really helping us recognize that faith and business go together, and for employees to be able to uh, bring their their whole authentic self to their workplace, and what the impact of of that on businesses and on the employees. Well, it's tremendous. So I, I can give just two examples, two different, very different companies. One is Span Construction. They build all the Costco stores around the United States. And the CEO, King Hussein, who's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, has signed our corporate pledge on uh, freedom of religion or belief, uh, saying that the company stands for this and respects uh, the uh, employee's right to have a faith, change their faith or have no faith at all, and respects that in the workplace. Uh, so that's that's uh, at a sort of privately owned company, and then a public company like Intel. The CEO Pat Gelsinger, both King Hussein and Pat Gelsinger, recently received our Global Business and More Faith Peace Awards. And Pat talks about how bringing your whole self to work, including your faith, is so essential to team building, to building trust within the company. So some people think that opening the door to faith expression in the workplace will. Uh, you know, bring in culture wars and other kinds of things. But the exact opposite is the experience in corporate America. When people are free to be themselves, whether it's whether it's a Catholic or it's a Latter-day Saint or it's a, uh, uh, an atheist, people then feel valued at work, and companies are embracing that. And that's, uh, that's not only good for business uh, and the bottom line, but that's good for America. It's an example showing the things that divide us when you have a common goal, like in a business, producing a service or a product, uh, those differences that often divide us uh, in society, if you share that common goal, if whatever our differences are, we come together for that, for that larger purpose. And I think that's a great example. And I think corporate America, uh, for all its good, you know, words and all, has a lot to teach us on how to um, be accommodating to this rich pluralism that we call America. Yeah, that, that pluralistic society and, and valuing the differences, I, I think, is is so vital that actually looking, I know our friends down at uh, salesforce.com have actually identified faith as a dimension of diversity, a valued dimension of diversity from the atheist to the Muslim uh, to the Catholic and everyone in between. Uh, that this is a, a dimension of di- diversity like anything else and, and should be valued. Uh, and it really creates a, an opportunity, I think, to, one, recognize the things that really matter, really matter to everyone. Uh, and it also, as you mentioned, uh, Brian, that it does help everyone feel valued and, and understood. And I think it also keeps the workplace curious 
And uh, we have this great philosophy that if you just create space, people will surprise you. And we should let people surprise us rather than just prejudging them or being pre-offended that they might uh, they might judge us. Well, I'll give one example of how this impacts people and it sets them free to innovate and, and, and build bonds in the workplace. At Intel, uh, they had a change of CEO recently, and uh, the head of their Muslim employee resource group, Hadi Sharifi, uh, said that as he's giving his going away speech, um, he just broke down and cried. And he said, he's a PhD engineer. Mm. I said, why am I crying? He said, because my company lets me bring my whole soul to work, mm. not just my whole self. And he said, when you have a company like that, then, then that becomes home. And, you know, how many companies would love to have that be their employees' attitude, that they're coming, when they come to work, they're coming to a place that feels like family that they want to uh, contribute to build build uh, build a future in. Um, so that's really what opening the door to faith and belief um, does for a company. Uh, so I, I love that. Not just your whole self, but your whole soul. If you have employees bringing their whole soul to the workplace, uh, they're going to be effective, they're going to be productive, and I think they're going to stay uh, Brian Grimm, again, the founding president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. This is fascinating research. We'll post this on our social media pages today. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have you back soon to continue the conversation. Thank you. I think it's so vital for us to recognize, uh, again, I'm going to repeat that last example from Brian, that when employees can bring not just their whole self, but their whole soul to the workplace, you're going to have more productive employees. You're going to have more satisfied customers. Uh, and as Brian's research has pointed out, there is a $1.2 trillion cumulative effect every year just in the United States of America by what is happening with faith-based groups and religious organizations who make a difference in our communities. Again, that was cited by uh, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Italy in a speech he delivered at the G20 Interfaith Forum uh, just over the last weekend. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. And when we come back, no surprise, I'm sure, a new report links Instagram with poor body image among teen girls. How do we arm our young women with the confidence they need in our social media age? We're going to talk about it coming up next. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.